0: Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thuzio. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast. This episode features NBA icon, the answer, Allen Iverson, being interviewed by NBA play-by-play analyst Mark Zumoff. Allen details crossing over his hero, Michael Jordan, how instrumental his mother was in his decision to go to Georgetown and how Larry Brown turned him into an MVP-caliber player. Enjoy the interview. Al, I want you to wind back the clock for me, and I want you to go back to Hampton, Virginia. Tap into that for a minute. Go back to visit? Uh, well, just go back to visit in your mind, if you That's know That's all what I'm, I'm doing. Tell me about, well, first of all, is it true that your mother was 15 when she gave birth to you? 15. Wow. Um, what are your earliest memories
1: growing up there? Um, I just remember it being hard. Um, my story is no different from a lot of other guys that's in the NBA or that's professional athletes in in general. Um, I uh, wanted something in life at eight years old. She told me I could be anything that I wanted to be. And, you know, a lot of parents tell their kids that, you know what I mean? And I remember watching the Chris Rock special and he was saying, you know, these parents need to stop telling their kids they can be anything they want to be cuz they know damn well they can't you know what I mean <laughs> but i actually I, I and and you know he told he you know i listened to him and it was funny he said parents need to stop lying to their kids and whatever just tell them okay you're going to be a garbage man or you know <laughs> you're not going to make it in life you know um but but uh my mom my mom told me i could be anything i wanted and I actually believed it at eight years old. Like, you know, my friends used to laugh at me, you know, when I said, you know, no, nah, I don't want to smoke that. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to be an NBA basketball player. No, nah, I'm not. I don't want to hang out there. I don't want to do that. And um, they used to laugh at me. And I'm not laughing at them now, but my dream came true. When
0: did you first pick up a basketball?
1: Eight let me, I'm keeping it short and sweet. Go ahead. I um I was a football player. I was always a football player.
0: Can I just interject for a second? He was a state champion not only in basketball but at football at the same time, okay? Just let me I just wanted to throw that in there. Now you
1: go ahead. Left some I was number one player in the country in football <laughs> and basketball. <laughs> and basketball. Don't take my... Ch- I need those achievements. This, I don't play no more. So I need those... <laughs> I need people to know that. Little guys, you know, some people don't know that. So they, they need to know that. So, but um, crazy story. And, I, I mean, this is the God knows truth. I was a football player. Never played basketball. Came home from school one day. And my mom said, you're going to basketball practice. And I never forget the day I cried... I kicked. My coaches were grabbing me. They were pulling me out of the house. I'm crying. I'm screaming. I don't want to play basketball. Basketball is soft. You know what I mean? I'm a football player. This, that, and the third. So When I got there, after scratching, kicking, and fighting back, when I walked in the gym, I never forget it. I seen all of the guys that were on my football team in there at the tryouts. So I remember I tried out and I came home and I hugged my mom, and I thanked her. And, um, you know, so looking back on it, if it wasn't for her, not just telling me that I could be anything I want, but that day making me go to basketball practice, and this many years later, I'm a Hall of Famer. So,
0: Isn't it true that your mom uh, played some part in you getting into Georgetown?
1: Yeah. um, I got into a, a situation when I was, I'm pretty sure if, you know i um i ended up getting in trouble and i um i was recruited by everyone in the country i remember even like i would have double, just big garbage bags full of letters every day and uh, i used to you come in my room and i had no space on my wall cuz i used to put all my letters up on the wall just just showing off you know what i mean i just put them all on my wall so when my friends come in there they being all of all the schools that was recruiting me in both both schools, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in both uh, sports. And uh, when I got into trouble, it was over. Like nobody recruited me in the country. Every team, every every school stopped recruiting me. Even the division two schools, division three, prep schools, everybody, you know what I mean? And uh, my mom, went up to Georgetown to talk to Coach Thompson and basically said, "If I need you to save my kid's life because if he stay down here, he's gonna go to jail forever, or is he gonna die? No, her exact words were, somebody down there's gonna kill him. So he'll tell you now he um, took a chance on me because my mom came up there, but I know my game has something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to be honest, (laughs) if I was him, I would have did it. (laughs) So eventually
0: you're the top pick in the draft in 1996 by the Philadelphia 76ers. And that year, I'm going to zero in on a date. We just celebrated the anniversary, March 12th, 1997, your rookie year. The team at this point of the season is 16 and 45. And you're playing the defending champion, Chicago Bulls. At what was then the first Union Center, they were 54 and eight coming in. Take us through what is now famously known as the
1: crossover. Okay, um, that play that one, i remember that play vividly, uh, vividly because I always Michael Jordan was my hero. Everybody know that he was my favorite player, he was my idol. I like—I literally wanted to be like Mike. And um, I used to always tell my family and my friends, my teammates in college and high school, said, you know, even my uh, the guys on my team uh, for the Sixers said, if I get the greatest player to ever play the game on me, I'm gonna try my move on him. So I remember I came off a screen or something, and I heard Phil Jackson say his name, called him to switch out on me, and. Looking back on it, I'm thinking to myself like, damn, did you get nervous or did you think about it? Whatever, all I I saw was him. And I just backed up and I gave him a little one and he went for it. And I was like, oh yeah, I got his ass now. (laughs) And all I was thinking about after the fact that no one never probably would have known anything about that move if I wouldn't have made the shot afterwards because they don't do that on ESPN, so hit the shot and I really didn't know, especially being that young what I had done and all of these years later you got little kids five and six years old walking up to me like, hey, you the guy that crossed Jordan, right? You know what I mean? And people still talk about it today I didn't even think it was a big deal that night. I remember somebody in here was saying um, they used to hang with me up in Fridays Well, that's where I was at that night and I'm looking at it like damn, I didn't even know it was like that but that's where I was at, at Friday's, when I realized what I had done. He, I remember, you know, he, I live in Charlotte now, so I went to a uh, Hornets game, and you know, he made sure I was straight. I was in his office, and just me and him and one of my friends, and I was like, you know, just telling him how much he meant to me and how much I loved him. He was like, I don't know if I can say it in here, but he it was like, MF, you don't love me, you wouldn't have crossed me like that. So, <laughs> But that's my man.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I'm intrigued by what Michael Jordan meant to you when you were growing up. Try to explain that to us if, if you can. A kid who was, you know, aspiring to be something and,
1: and Michael Jordan was your idol. He was just, like, he was just um, somebody that I admired, you know, just so much. Like, he didn't, he didn't seem like a real person to me. You know what I mean? Like I just wanted to. He was just—he meant so much to me as a basketball player, and the way he excited me. You know, I remember sitting in front of my—my uh, my mom had a TV, and I remember sitting on the dresser on the side of it, but looking at the TV like this because I wanted to be that close to him. Like she used to always tell me, you know, back up for that, um, from the TV, for you be blind and never be able to shoot no basketball. <laughs> You know what I mean? You wouldn't even be, you're you not gonna be able to see the rim if you can't see. So um, I just remember you know, him just, I remember the wars that he had been in and I thought I'd been through them wars with him too. Like when the Knicks used to beat him up and Detroit used to beat him up, I used to cry after the games. And you know, my, my dad used to, he used to talk real bad to me. I can't even say the names that he used to call me cause I used to cry. Cause I used to, well, I used, um a bunch of Ps and MFs and stuff like that. Like you crying about a game. You don't even know that guy. Whatever. But in my heart, I felt like I did know him. I felt like he was a part of me. And um, like I told it during my hall of fame, I mean Hall of Fame speech, like y'all wouldn't believe it, or or I don't know if y'all ever met someone and when you saw him, like, he really didn't look human. Like I never looked at a person and he didn't look real to me like it f- looked like he was glowing i i, I promise you I- i'm not making this up i, I mean I- he didn't look real to me and i'm looking at him and i'm like damn he got on the t- 23 in the bulls jersey then i'm looking at his socks and i'm like damn we get fined for not wearing the nba socks and he got on his own socks <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm like damn he got on the jordans like and i'm and then uh, you know, after I told the story, everybody was like, what the hell you think he's supposed to have on? You know what I mean? He's Jordan. And I just, I just never, I, I, I mean, I was just, and I was 21 years old, so it was the first time I ever played against him. But um, when they threw that ball up, Showtime was, you know, everybody know who number 23 is all over the world, but tonight you're gonna know who number three is. And that's how I approach
0: so the good news is you're Rookie of the Year. The bad news is the team is not good. Johnny Davis is relieved of his duties. And um, a new coach is in town by the name of Larry Brown. And I, I know that Coach Brown has a special place in your heart. And I'm going to ask you about him later on. But I always thought that one of, the, one of the things that Coach Brown did, which really showed how brilliant he was, was he surrounded you with guys who were perfect complements. Eric Snow, George Lynch, Tyrone Hill... Aaron McKee do you agree with me
1: you probably know better than me (laughs) but I definitely agree with you I more than agree with you
0: you tell me how those guys complimented you and how you cemented yourselves into a team that eventually went to the finals
1: it was basically it was to me it was um, I guess to him it was simple to all of us we really didn't know what he was doing in the beginning um, he moved me from the point guard to the two guard because I shot the ball a lot. <laughs> 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 and he realized that my, my skills were um, two guard skills and a point guard's body. You know what I mean? And he recognized that. And the way he thought it, thought it up was, okay, He can do all the scoring for us, and then I'm gonna bring in some guys that can do everything else. I'm gonna bring in some guys that can make up for what he can't do, and he'll make up for what they can't do. You know what I mean? So everybody knew night in and night out that I obviously was gonna do the bulk of the scoring, and they were gonna do all the scrappy stuff and everything else that it took to win basketball games. And he put together a team where nobody cared about all the attention that I got. All they cared about was one goal, and that was winning. And one thing that my teammates, and they'll say this to the day, they die. I was always in the foxhole with them. They knew regardless if they were in a war and they looked to the left or to the right, and if I was over here hurt or sick or whatever i still was going to be in the foxhole with him and they respected me for that you know regardless that team he put together was the perfect team for me the greatest team that i ever been on in my life and it was because of his genius so in 2001
0: it was quite a trip to the nba finals you eliminate indiana the first round They had eliminated you in the previous two years, and I know that was very satisfactory for you. But then a game seven in Toronto, the miss shot by Vince Carter at the buzzer. Seven games against Milwaukee, and now you're going up against the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. They're the defending champions. They had gone through the playoffs to that point undefeated. What made you think you could beat that team?
1: That's a great, great question. That's a great question. And it was... One thing, we beat Indiana. We knew, we, th- we thought we were basically invincible once we beat them. We, do you know how many times that we cried and cried together because we couldn't get past that team? They were just too much. They had too much experience. They were, they were, they were too skilled. They were, um, were well-coached, obviously. Um, and they knew how to win. You know what I mean? They never panicked when they got in games with us. They knew how to win. They've been through those games where they got to pull it out at the end. You know what I mean? When we were playing, um, um, instead of playing to win, we were playing not to lose. They knew how to do it the other way around. And when we got past them, we didn't think anybody could beat us. That took our confidence uh, higher than it already was. So that first game, we we, we came into that game – they were a better team than us. The Lakers were, ultimately. Obviously, they, they won the series. But they were a better team. But we felt like we still had a chance, even though we were hurt the way we were. So game one at Staples Center.
0: Nobody has given the Sixers a chance. You come out, and you had 38 points after the first two-and-a-half quarters. Then all of a sudden, Teron Liu comes off the bench, and he's guarding you, and all of a sudden you go cold until overtime. So the, the game is now in overtime. You start to find some rhythm. You score five straight points, including a three that puts the team up two. Then you get the ball again with, oh, about a minute and a half left to play and you're isolated on the right wing. Take me through that play.
1: I remember him being a pest that night in such a way, Honestly, I mean, like, he was, he he told me later, you know, he told me later that I was his idol. So everybody on his team, Shaq, Kobe, everybody, they was uh, teasing him about it. You know, you gonna let AI come out here and bust your ass and this, that, and the third, you gonna let him do what he want. And in his mind, I gotta prove to my squad that that's not the case, even though um, I grew up idolizing these guys. It's similar to how I felt, there you go, how I felt about Jordan. Like all my other teammates like, are you for real? So you ain't gonna play tonight because you're playing against him. I, so we already know we lost this game, huh? <laughs> Not the case. Um, he came out and he was scrappy. That quarter you talking about where I went cold? He had a lot to do with it, but I wouldn't have went cold if it wasn't for a whole lot of holding that he was doing. <laughs> you look at it, tape, I, I wouldn't have went cold if it wasn't a hold. <laughs> because the whole tape, if you look at it, he was grabbing on me and the referee was just letting him do it and it was frustrating the hell out of me. So on that play, I knew how big the possession was. I knew the time and when I grabbed it, all I was trying to do was get some space but he wouldn't give me none, you know what I mean? So, um, as, as I mean, the guy moved so well laterally. I gave him a hard swing through, and when I brought it back, I remember, if you looking at it, he, he's holding my hand on that play. And um, I snatched away from him, and then when I shot it, I hit it, and I don't know how the rest happened. I don't know, people tell me, and like, when I'm doing, uh, a little a commercial shoot or something like that, do the step over again. You know, I'm taking pictures, do the step, step over again. Like, I don't know how I did it when I did it. You know what I mean? It was just a reaction, I didn't know I did it. But it was like, it was basically like me saying, like, yeah, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? That's how I was. But I couldn't, I couldn't duplicate it again for nothing. And Aaron McKee used to say, say all of that stuff to me during practice. You know what I mean? He was like, man, that was some that was some crazy stuff you was doing last night. I bet you can't do that right now. Do that move you did last night right now. And I would really try it and couldn't do it. You know what I mean? You just be y- y- y'all in there and, and the, the way y'all, you know how our crowd used to be. You know what I mean? I used to, oh my God. Like made me feel like Superman out there. Y'all had me thinking, Nobody could stop me. And with that attitude, on top of me feeling like that anyway, <laughs> who was going to stop me? <laughs> no, I was just playing. <laughs> when I talked to him at a Boston game, they was playing Boston, and he was like, yeah, I, you know, I tried everything I could. I even grabbed you and couldn't stop it. But-
0: Allen, that was the zenith for that team. They had one game one. Everybody thought then they had a chance. Unfortunately, the Lakers, yep, the Lakers went on and they won the next four. What kept that team from getting back to the finals?
1: What's crazy too, Mark, you know, we had game two. We had game two when Fisher hit that three. And then we had, we had game two and we had game three. And remember we tried to, um, we doubled Kobe and Horry hit the shot in the corner. We had that one too, but I, I really, I really don't, don't know. Like we had, um, we had some great runs after that. Um,
0: oh, our coach, yes, eventually he did right in 2003. That was his last. Year. And I sent them there.
1: <laughs> yes, you did. I sent them there. I, and and, and it, I mean, it was. And, and he like he told he told us stories about you know how how that you know even though he wanted to his team to win, and he loved those guys over there, but he wished he could have a- achieved it with us. But it was, it was, it was me. I, you know, I, I remember the last straw was um, I think the last straw was um, we were down to zero to Detroit. And um, I left the house a little too late. And then if you know the traffic on 76, you know that you can't leave the house too late during rush hour. And I remember um, when I got to the arena, they were warming up already. And uh, coach was telling uh, Aaron McKee and Eric Snow, he's not playing, he's not playing. It's like, coach, we gotta get back in the series. He gotta play. So I remember We played, obviously we won, we lost that series, and I think that incident was the last straw with him putting up with a young fool.
0: December 2006, you could feel the trade wins, and eventually you were traded to Denver. In retrospect, what are your thoughts on that?
1: It was, I think it was, um, it was was about time. And and it it was time because... um, we had lost like 21 out of 23 games, something outrageous for the talent that we had, and um, and the type of fans that we had. That was that was crazy. So I remember going in there and saying, um, I don't want to be traded, but if we're gonna continue to lose playing in this style right here, then I would rather go um, and. Uh, that was enough. I, they, they felt like it was time.
0: So you went to Denver and you later played for several other teams. You came back with the Sixers. You finally ended your NBA career. You played briefly overseas and then a well-deserved honor. The pinnacle for any professional in any sport is to be inducted into that sports hall of fame. And at your hall of fame speech, I have to tell you when I was sitting there, I'm in the upper deck, and I got you here on the stage to my right. And I'm looking at that prompter that was way on the other side. And as soon as he started that speech, he went off the prompter. That thing stopped, and it never started again. I mean, you, you, and you thanked everyone under the sun, including Coach Larry Brown, once you started to listen to him. Was there a moment, did a light go off? What was it that suddenly made you think, you know what, this guy's going to be good for me and
1: good for my career? It was a, it was some point that I, um, that I realized, I don't know um, the exact couple of incidents, but I know it was at some point that I realized he cared about me um, other than uh, being a basketball player. When, um, when I realized that he had a different kind of feeling for me and um, it just, it changed my whole career around. You know, once I once I bought into the concept and understood that he was just trying to help me and help our team and help me become a better player. Um, that's when I that's when I stopped playing at a didn't have to play at a fast speed all the time. I could outthink you. I, I, you know the, the younger, stronger guys. I could outthink them. You know what I mean? Because um, he, he taught me how to play the game. It was similar like, um, John Stockton. Like, John Stockton, he doesn't have all the physical attributes. He can't jump so high and run so fast, you know, but he could outthink the guy that could jump high and run fast. You know what I mean? And I implicated that part in my game, and that's when I became um, just not just a talented player, but it turned me into a great player.
0: I have two more questions for you. You have a lifetime shoe deal with Reebok. How did all that come
1: about? Uh they were um they were um I tell you I I tell you the, the story Well they they didn't have a great um prospect since Shaquille O'Neal. They hadn't had nobody since him. And uh I remember I they obviously had visions for me, but I remember when I went in there, um, I had the meeting with Nike first, and uh, Nike said, well, we'll give you uh, $5 million, 10 years. I said, okay, well, never had that much money in my life, never seen that much money, so um, sound good to me. Let me get back with y'all. Let me hear what Reebok got to say. And Reebok said what they said, and then, and then, and and then Coach Thompson was on the board of directors for Nike, so my my thing was that was my coach, and I was going to him for advice. I said, um, I said Coach, this is what y'all offered me, and this is what Reebok offered me. And he said, boy, if you don't get the hell out of here with that shit, it's a (laughs) no-brainer. And that was it. And that's how I ended up uh, signing with Reebok. But the numbers were way off um, for for Nike. But it was a no-brainer. I I just wanted to to say something to him out of respect because he was working with Nike. But I knew in my mind what I was going to do anyway. The Lifetime deal was still going on, but they wasn't doing nothing in the last seven years. So, obviously... They came to their senses after not selling no shoes, and here we go.
0: (laughs) Al, I have one last question for you, and this is a phrase that I've heard many, many times, and I know you've heard it. It's the boxing phrase, pound for pound. Mm -hmm. And people say that pound for pound, however tall you really were, and however much you actually weigh, pound for pound, you are the greatest basketball player of all time. Weigh in on that.
1: First of all, it's true. <laughs> no, that was what, what, was uh what's strange about that is how they do it nowadays when they say, Well, who's the best little man um, in the game? And it's like when they when 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 it's barber shop talk and stuff like that, or, or two people. Um, when you talk about pound for pound the best little man, why am I always the little one and everybody else is bigger than me? Like I, I, I've never gotten it like, every time you say this little man is better, he's 6'3". Or this little man is better, he's 6'4". Alan, before we wrap, what's it
0: like, you, you mentioned MJ and how you looked up to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's it like to be that guy now when you walk into a locker room and you got the current stars of the NBA that are just looking at you like in the same light that you looked at MJ. I
1: always, always say that, you know, um, like, you know, LeBron and guys like that, and you know, Kevin Durant. You know, just people that that looked up to me. Um, I always thought about that. You know what I mean? Like when I walk in a room, do they feel the same way that I felt about about Mike and um, if they do feel anything close like that when it come to me, man, I, I, I really feel like that's a blessing and that's an honor, you know, for, for me to um, be who I am. And um, I thank God for giving me the talent to become someone like that.
0: Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Alan Iverson. Be sure to subscribe to Thusio Live and Unfiltered wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.